Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning. Good to see everybody. My name's Tim. This is your first time here. I'm the senior pastor here at the church, and I wasn't here last week. Because I was serving, actually I I was more served, I think, but I was serving in our children's ministry, Vine Kids, and um, I have to tell you, the time goes by so fast when you're in there. We didn't even get to color our last coloring, and I I really had mine planned because it was on patience, the the lesson was on patience, and and, you know, we had the draw, we had to draw this drawing, so with all these great folks around me, and, and my in the first service, it was me standing on the beach in Myrtle Beach being patient for waves, because Myrtle Beach does not seem to get that many waves, so that was my lesson as a surfer in Myrtle Beach. I'm waiting on the beach, and uh, I tell you, if, if you've never served back there, you should, you should do it. You should, you should really go back and you get you receive a whole lot more than you give but you have an opportunity to pour into some lives and to look in the eyes of of I don't, I don't know I, I'll lose it here if I talk too much about it but um I want to talk a little more later on about it but you should run out after this find a vine kids contact and 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 look into serving and see what goes on you know what usually stops us from serving uh, whether it's in church or, or it's even in this faith walk that we have as Christians, what usually happens at some point is we get derailed. A lot of times we, we have some experience in church or, or maybe in our faith. What, what are some of the reasons? Unanswered prayer, right? Like I really believed this was going to happen and I believe what, what people told me and I believed and then it didn't go the way that I wanted it to go, or, or, you know, I had friends, and there were such good friends in the church, and we talk about being good friends, and then the day came when they weren't that great a friend to me, and, and maybe I got betrayed in my friendship, and these things can trip us up as we, as we walk through it all, and eventually, you know, or maybe we don't feel appreciated, or we become disillusioned, and I actually love the word disillusioned. You know what it means, right? It means what you believed prior was an illusion, and so when you have a disillusion, now you can refocus. And now you can actually take a really good, clear look at what's true. And, and that's not a bad thing as long as that disillusionment leads you to continue to seek out what is really true. And, you know, usually it's those things in the interim in life that we hit and we trip up on that uh, cause us problems. Now, some of you in here are old enough to remember a gentleman named Jim or James Stockdale, Admiral Jim Stockdale. Uh, what, a, what a man. He was a POW for eight years in Vietnam. He was tortured 20 different times. At, at one time while he was uh, being held captive, he actually cut himself and beat himself up so they wouldn't use him as a pawn uh, for propaganda so that they couldn't put him before the cameras. And, he, and uh, Admiral Stockdale said that as it went along, he would watch his 
his fellow prisoners of war, he said he would watch them get expectations of something good happening like right around the corner, right around the corner, whether it was Easter or whether it was Christmas, that it would come. And he would watch them become very disillusioned when it didn't happen. And when he was asked, how did you make it? He said this, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never lost faith in the end of the story. And he said the ones who didn't make it were the ones along the way who had their hopes in this interim moment, but then it got tripped up. But he said, I never lost that faith that out, it was coming. Liberation was coming, and it was coming at some point. That has a tremendous bearing on how we look at life, and especially in the Christian life, in that when we get disillusioned and we get tripped up and we expect things to happen right now or something uh, we feel betrayed in the church or, or something like that, and it can trip us up because we think that one moment is all there is to this entire walk, whereas there is a goal line. There is a finish line. And uh, we never want to lose faith in the end of the story. That is what keeps us putting one foot in front of the other every day. Um, I'm reading a book, no surprise, but on, uh, it's on the science of endurance, on how uh, explorers, runners, different people uh, who do these amazing feats and all. And there's one particular group of scientists and all who say that we have a central governor inside of us, something that kind of holds us back just a little bit. And, and the guy writing the book said that the faster the runners were, the less likely they were able to summon a finishing spirit. That they were just running for that moment, you know, just try to get through that next step as fast as they could, whereas... Some of those who ran and ran consistently, when they got to the end and they could see the goal, there was something inside that gave a little extra pep in their step. And you see them pick up speed just a little bit as they're coming down, as they're coming down the, the final stretch. And I think that speaks to this whole issue of making our lives count in a way that it's not the disillusioning moments, it's not the trip-ups and the things that we experience in life, but we keep our eyes on what's out there. And that one foot in front of the other, every day of our Christian life, we just keep stepping into it. Some of you know that. You've had to step, 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 and you keep walking and you keep going on because you know there is a goal at the end of the run. And so that gets us through the letdowns. And, and so this series that Lauren and uh, and Doug launched for me last week uh, on making my life count. It, I'm hoping this will do this. This will help us understand and help us put one foot in front of the other. By the way, Doug, Gonzalez, and Christy are leaving us. They are moving to Texas. Uh, yeah, I'm going to miss Doug. Has and Christy have been a great, you know, been a part of my preaching team for four years, five years. When you guys applaud at the offering, that came directly from Doug Gonzalez. One of his first sermons preached here was on giving because I gave him the roughest to preach on at the beginning. And so that was one of the things he had you guys do back all those years ago and to celebrate the opportunity of giving. So we want to pray for Doug, and they're actually leaving Friday. So uh, it's, a, it's a quick move, and we, we love them dearly. And, but I've already connected him with a good vineyard friend of mine in Austin that uh, started a church a couple of years ago, and so uh, I'm happy about that. 
So we're going to be over in Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. It's a parable, a story. I'm going to read through it because I tried to started to paraphrase it, but I don't think I can do it. I think I'm going to have to read it, and we'll put it up on the screens. And uh, so let me pray, and then we'll jump right in to read this. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you that uh, you enable us to put one foot in front of the other uh, through the trip-ups, the challenges, the disillusionments. Uh, Lord, there is something very wonderful at the end of this journey. And in the process of this journey, you begin to reveal that to us over and over again to strengthen us, to encourage us, to, uh, Lord, energize us in the way as we make our way. And so this morning as we look at these three stewards that were giving, given, Lord, uh, a tremendous amount, we ask that you speak to our hearts this morning. Help us understand, Jesus, what you were telling your friends and the people around you at that time and make it real to our lives. Now, Holy Spirit, come and rule and reign in this place and lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hey, I want to say this too about making my life count. I use the word count on purpose because I think no matter what your age is, you can make your life count right where you are, right in the moment that we don't count yourself out. Don't count yourself out because of your age. Don't count yourself out because of your gender. Don't count yourself out because of your situation in life. Don't count yourself out no matter what, where you are in life. You can make your life count right now, right where you are. So here's the setup. Jesus has been talking in parables and trying to get the attention of those around him about really how important it is what is going on with him coming to earth and also the call of this tremendous message. And so we jump into a parable about uh, an employer. And let's, let's just read this again. Here we go. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold or talents. I wish the NIV hadn't used gold, but five uh, talents or five bags of gold. To another, two bags or two talents. And to another, one bag or one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. 
For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Woo! Wow, gentle Jesus. Man. Man. First, let me just say this too, not to take any of the emphasis out of this Jesus uses hyperbola a lot, and that is that he uses exaggeration to make a point, which was one of the ways they communicated uh, during this culture. And so he is putting the spotlight on this issue with hyperbola, a lot of it. But let me just also say this, that a talent, maybe your Bible says a talent, like five talents, or five talents, two talents, one talent. A talent is like, it's a weight of of money, and they, the NIV uses gold, but a talent today would be equal to about $354,000. That's one talent. And so what we have in this, in this parable is a master or an owner who has probably billions of dollars of worth. He has some faithful stewards, people who have taken care of his Material. It wasn't unusual during this period of time for uh, an owner, a master, to go on a very long trip with you not knowing when he was going to get back. I mean, they didn't have their iPhones, you know, that kind of thing. So they would go off sometimes months, sometimes years. So you didn't know when they were going to get back. Now, there's a lot of shades to this story, just like a lot of us going, Jesus is never coming back, <laughs> you know. When's he ever going to come back? Did not know exactly when, and so to be faithful and to be a good steward was very important. <clears throat> and so he's gone off for a journey. And, uh, you know, the five-talent guy has been given almost $2 million worth, if you want to look at it in that sense. Uh, the two talents, seven hundred and sixty-eight, seven hundred seventy thousand dollars worth. Uh, and then the guy with the one, three hundred eighty-four thousand. I don't know about you, but nobody's ever given me three hundred eighty-four thousand dollars and said, "Hey, you know, go invest this and take care of it for me." You know, that's a pretty doggone lot of money, any way you look at it. But there are a lot of people who think the talent, the word talent, is not only about money, but this story is meant to transcend that. It's meant to, it means whatever the master has put at your disposal, that which he has given you. And we know over again and again, even in the book of Matthew, and that we hear Jesus talking about being a servant. He has to correct his disciples over and over again. Like, you know, you're to serve. You're not to take this position of it's all about me, but you're to serve. And, and, and so here's a moment where these servants, these that are a part of the master's kingdom are given a certain amount. And you have a fill-in on the back of your handout if you want to flip it over. And I want you to notice a few things this morning, and that is, uh, your first one is this. In Matthew twenty-five fifteen, it says that everyone was given according to his ability. You get this? According to his ability, and that is everyone has ability. Everyone has ability. If you have anything in your hands this morning, if you have anything you can do whatsoever, you have an ability. And some God seems to give a lot to, but and then some, but 384,000 doesn't say he gave one guy five cents, right? No, 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 it's all relative, right? $384,000 is a lot. 
So whatever he's given you, it's really kind of a neat practice to do an inventory at times in your life. Take your journal out, write down the things that God has blessed you with and the things that he's done in your life. And every one of those blessings, every one of the things that you've been able to participate in that blessed other people is a talent in your life. That is, it has a value to it that God has given you. So this is not just about money at all. This is about whatever, this is the way I describe it, whatever God has placed in our hands. Whatever. And that means, yeah, it can mean what we own. It can mean our bank account. It can, mean, it can mean our talents, what it is that we can do well. But it also means our experiences, good, bad, the ugly, our wins, our losses, the people around us, how much joy we have in our lives, how much kindness, your ability to forgive, all of those are a part of what God has placed in our hands and given to us. And so everyone in here has ability. Have you ever been blessed by someone who didn't seem to have much, but by the time you left them, your life was much richer because they invested something in you? I mean, I was like that in Vine Kids. Last week, I mean, that's what I, I took much more away than I gave. Uh, just sitting and listening to the prayer requests and watching the eyes and listening and the laughter and those serving uh, back in the back. And, and, you know, it was an investment in my life. They had something to give and they were giving it there in that moment. And so don't check out of this series or this sermon this morning. Everyone has ability. Every person has ability. Uh, number two, look at verse 19, Matthew 25, 19, says that the master came back and settled accounts with them. And this is, everyone has responsibility. Everyone. We're all responsible. Each one of us have been given a great trust and a great treasure in, in our lives, what our lives are made up of again, or what we've been given, or what we've earned, or the experiences we have, all of it. it it's, you know, we tend to think that because I'm, I don't have much, I don't have much to give, but that's not the point. That, that's not the point. The point is the $384,000 value was given, right, to the servant. And the thing is, the master didn't expect from the $384,000 the amount back that the other two gave to him. Do you get this? He was responsible for what he was given, not what someone else was given. You are not responsible for what someone else was given. This is where all our comparisons, we get in trouble. When we start feeling like, well, if you know, I could never do that. Well, yeah, maybe you're not expected to do that. Maybe that's not what was given to you. But look around you and look what's in your hand and what was given to you. What do you have in your life? What has God blessed you with? What is it you have to invest for the master? And again, it's keeping your eye on the end of the story because as things are come along and we're tripped up and we seem to lose something in our lives and we lose that initiative, we realize that at the end, there is a responsibility at the end of it. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a sad thing. That's a wonderful thing. I mean, because you could say, well, I don't have much money. What do you have? Because I don't have much talent. What do you have? 
because I don't have much influence. Well, you obviously have some. Some, right? You have some. Maybe you have a great amount. The responsibility is commensurate with what you have, not what you don't have. And you're not in competition with the others. Do you get this? It's just about what you have, what God has invested in you and given you. And one of the things we discount immediately because we think it eliminates our possibility of having a good impact is our failures. We think, you don't understand, Tim. You don't know the failures in my life. You don't know the loss in my life. Well, yes, I do. And what's more so true is God knows. God knows what you've been through. He knows the pain that you've suffered. And every one of those times that you got back up and you kept walking on is an investment. Every time you did that, every time you walked through, or maybe you're walking through it right now, during that period of time, God is putting an investment of grace into you, an investment. And you've learned some things through that. Or you're learning some things through that. You're learning how to lean into friends. You're learning how to lean in to God. You're learning how to process it as painful as it is. Those are some of the most valuable times of our lives. Because there are people around you and there are people you will come into contact with who are going to go through the same thing. And you've been invested at that time with the grace of God walking with you through it. So instead of eliminating our influence or eliminating the possibility of God using us, it is an investment. The only time it becomes... I mean, here's the thing. Don't let the enemy, because he comes to kill, steal, rob, right? Destroy. He would like to rob all that you've put into getting better through the situation. He would love to rob it from you, take it from you, so that you could never, ever redeem that for the sake of the kingdom of God. He would love for you to clam up, never talk, never share, never just make like it didn't happen. No, turn it. It's been given to you. You walked through it. You kept your eye on the prize. You kept your eye on the future, and you walked through it. Take that. Start a group. Start a recovery group. Start a coffee in the mornings. Early in the mornings where you get with one or two, three other people, and you get together, and you share how you're walking through it. You know, you don't have to be an expert, you know. Just... Be a perk, you know, just do what, you know, grab somebody and, and bring, them, bring them with you. Bring them with you, along with you, because that's an investment of the grace of God in your life. Don't think, well, that was a sidetrack. No. I mean, Jesus is a redeemer. Remember that. He redeems, he reconciles, he buys back, he makes all things new. We take it, we reprocess it, and we bring it in. We go, okay, God, you invested great grace in me through that painful time. Or maybe it is a painful time right now. You know what? That's one of my talents. I'm walking through this. I'm going to invest this. I'm going to invest this in the kingdom of God. So don't write off the weaknesses and the failures or what goes on in your life. That's some of the, the greatest strengths. I've always liked talking to people who have been through crap and, you know, on the other side of it or walking through it and still I'm watching them, you know, keep their eyes on Jesus. They're not denying the pain. They're hurting, but they're walking through it. And you can just see God's process. I've always read, honestly rather be with people like that than someone who says, man, I made it through it, you know, with no scars and I didn't feel any pain at all. I'm like, yeah, well, you got to deal with lying. Uh, yeah, sooner you 
deal with lying, you probably might have more to share, you know. Somebody might want to hang out with you then. And uh, so uh, you, get, you get what I'm saying? It's, it's all a part of God redeeming our lives, buying back what's been lost. And so there is a responsibility, and part of that is the talent. of That's the weight of God's presence in us that gets us through these things. And you notice the two, the two servants that had the, the five and the two, they weren't like, oh, man, we're really under the gun now. They quickly went out. Like, they were excited. Have you ever had a boss who gave you responsibility and you interpreted it as he trusts me? Instead of, oh, man, oh, I'm going to get fired. Oh, you know. Instead of that, instead of going, he, he believes enough in me or she believes enough in me to give me this responsibility. That's a great compliment. That is a wonderful compliment. And when God drops things and gives things to us in our lives, it's a great compliment to be responsible for that. It comes with the weightiness of what God gives us. And so responsibility is a beautiful thing. And we keep our eyes on the end. I'm doing this little study through, uh, it's an Ignatian, uh, a Jesuit-type practice thing that uh, for prayer right now. And one of the things that uh, Ignatius said early on whenever he was developing his relationship, what a wild man he was, and uh, with God was he said, this has to start at the beginning, and, and I have to believe this. I am in a relationship with God who loves me and desires the best for me. My decisions should help cultivate and deepen that relationship. I am only looking for what I was created for. And there is not one thing in your life that hasn't entered it that he doesn't know about. And it has not diminished his plan and his purpose of what you were created for one bit. Matter of fact, on the other end of eternity, you might find out it was there on purpose. He weaved it in there somehow, some way. You turned the fabric over. It looks like a mass of chaos. You put it on this side of eternity and it's beautiful. A beautiful landscape. But we have to believe that at the end of this, we have to know that at the end of this is a beautiful God who called us to a beautiful walk and who has invested in us amazing things and experiences. And wherever I find myself in life, that's what I have. Wherever you are right now, that's what you have in your hands or your talents. What you have right in this moment. That is what you have. That is what we're responsible for. Um, when we got up this morning, our two of our, uh, well, three of our grandchildren were with us. And, you know, we got up this morning and there's a one-year-old and a two-year-old going, you know, <laughs> like, you know, and, and, and I'm like, I love being a granddad. You know, I, I love it. It is a talent that's been given to me. It's being a grandfather is something that God foresaw way off and said, Tim, I'm going to give this to you. It's yours. And I mean, that's tied, right? I mean, you grandparents, you know what it's like, right? You know, there's a whole other part of your heart that opens up. I mean, you love your kids, you love them, you love them, but your grandkids come along and man, you know, it's all good. Jump off the counter, dive. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Jump on the television. Go ahead. Man, that was awesome. Flip you just did, you know? I mean, they get by, and you love them, and then you go, here, you can have them back. And uh, <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. 
I know. But you know what? We've got close to 100 kids in this church. They sit back there every, every Sunday or they're at their outreaches or they're at art camp that's coming up this summer. And they're there and there you are with a gift. There you are with a talent, a beautiful talent of being able to love little ones and look in their eyes and see something nobody else sees. Because you have such a love and such an acceptance. What would God have you to do with that talent? What would he have you to do? How would you spend it and invest it in the kingdom in such a way that gets a huge return? So everybody has ability. Everybody has responsibility. And your third one is everyone has accountability. Accountability. The master does come back eventually. He comes back and... You know, what I like is that they, you know, my perspective of the story is that these two first ones are, can't wait to see him come back because they, they've been hard at, you know, investing whatever they had and they can't wait to see him and to say, here's, here's what we've been about. And the master looks at them and goes, well done, well done. Well, to two of them he says that. And, uh, you know, there is a, there is this thing of all of us wanting to hear that eventually. We want to hear it now, don't we? Let's be honest. Well, I don't need anybody to say, I'm, you know, whatever. Everybody loves to hear the words, well done. Well done. But what precedes that is something that needs to be done well. Right? And that has been given to us as members and citizens of this kingdom as God has invested in I think the day will come, you know, and this isn't a sad thing. These guys didn't mind being accountable. They were ready to go. Like, I can't wait to see the king. I can't wait for the master to get back. At, let's, I hope he comes back tomorrow because, and not, you know, because he invested so much in my life, and now I want to be able to give, I want to be able to give it back. I want him to see. And uh, that's, they're not operating out of some insecurity or fear at all. It's joy. And I want you to notice how the conversation goes and how the master, what he says to these folks at the end. You know, well done, well done. Enter into the happiness, the NIV says. One version says the joy. That is, come on in and experience my joy. Come in and experience my happiness over what I was doing because you were a part of it, and I gave you an investment, and you did it well. So come on and party with me. Come on and party with me because, man, this is great. I was away for a while, but you rocked. You know, you did so well. And so accountability is not, is not a fearsome thing, a fearful thing. It is just part of us getting done what God has called us to and what he has given us. And, um, you know, I, I got to be honest with you. There's this tension, this a healthy tension, too, that between... Oh, I could never do more for God to love me than he loves me now, and I could never fail anymore, and God would still love me the same. But there is a tension in this that there is an accountability. Am I in the right house? Do you get this? Do you ever read the Bible? It's in there. I mean, it's like, and I think it's in there, I think it's in there on purpose. I think that tension is there. We like, the, I think living in the tension is good. It's healthy for us. That is that, yeah, God loves me every, you know, it's, he loves me so just completely, and then he's, Giving me talents that he's for an investment, and one day I'm going to stand before him and I'm going to hear, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And see, 
It's a joyful thing if you just realize you have what you have and what you have was given to you by the master. That is all you're responsible for. That is all you're accountable for. Whatever he has given you, you are accountable and responsible for. And it's a joyous thing to be asked to journey with God and to be a part of what God's doing. Are you getting this? I mean, this is, we have to have that tension there because it calls us, it pulls us out of lethargy, doesn't it? And laziness in some ways, which we contend that is, well, God loves me, so what? I mean, I don't care. God loves me. We screw up. God loves me. It's good. Suddenly, that tension of God has called me to much greater than just being forgiven every time I screw up. That God has called me to much more than that. He's, yeah, that's a part of it, but that's a meant of empowerment to get me back in the race again. To get me back into being a steward over the good things that he has invested in my life. Whether it's the love I have for a grandchild, a granddaughter, a friend, someone. That is an investment. That is a talent he has dropped into your heart. To music, to art, to business to being able to befriend people. All of those are talents. And some of us have been given one, some has been given two, some has been given five, and we're all responsible and accountable for whatever God has given us. And so we joyfully, we joyfully go, okay, Lord, yeah, I'm in this. I'm ready. You know, Chuck Colson, some of you might remember him, Watergate, uh, his situation way back with Nixon and, and all, and Chuck went, he was counsel for Nixon, and he went to jail. He was, actually had a long jail term that he was supposed to serve, and that's where he came to Christ, was in prison. And um, he started Prison Fellowship, which, uh, if you've ever done jail ministry, like I had, not from the inside, but from the outside, um, <laughs> then you probably know about Prison Fellowship, and because when I used to do jail ministry, I handed off, there was a guy named Rusty Woomer that killed people down here, and I spent a lot of time with him whenever he was arrested. And when he went to Columbia, Prison Fellowship took that, went with him, and were there with him when he was executed. And so this was, came out of Chuck Colson's uh, journey. But when he was first starting Prison Fellowship, one of his associates called this very wealthy farmy, farmer and asked for a tremendous amount of money from him to help Colson start the business and uh, the ministry. And Chuck was mortified when he heard. And so he called the farmer up and he apologized for his young associate asking for all this money. And the farmer said, responded with this, are you calling me to apologize because you don't think I have the amount your associate asked for? And uh, Chuck went, no, I think you probably do. I think you probably do. Then the second question was, okay, second question, do you have a better investment for me than the kingdom of God? Chuck went, well, no, not really. And then the farmer went like this. Well, then, why are you calling me to apologize about the best investment I will ever make? <laughs> See, there is a value in what God has called us to. A tremendous value. And if we don't think it's valuable, nobody else is going to think it's valuable. This walk that we're on is the most important, I think, without a doubt, of anything, our value in bringing the kingdom, bringing Jesus, bringing the love and the kindness of God to little ones, to France, to Belgium, to Africa, to uh, Brazil, all these places that we're involved in missions. That's, there is no more important business than that. All right, number four. Let me just finish, 
Everyone, okay, we have ability, uh, responsibility, accountability, and everyone has possibility. Everybody does. Everybody does. Look what the master says at the end. I will put you in charge of many things. This isn't the end of the story. Whatever God has given you, now there's more to come. Because you have been faithful in that, because you have been stewarding what God has given you well, he gives you more. And you know what? The more, I think, many times comes here, but I know it comes there. I know it comes there. And that's why keeping our eyes when we stumble and we have setbacks during life that we go, I'm still going to make my life count. I'm not going to be set back because I know that there is a reward day coming soon. And I am working because I have a good master. And I'm being faithful because I believe in the return that comes from investing in the kingdom of God. Whatever I have, I'm going to give it back. You know, in this uh, county, I think we have like a somewhere around, I don't know, some of you might know better, but my, my uh, research about 6.1, something like that, percent unemployment and 4 something in the uh, country, 4.4 and, you know, if the unemployment rate was 20% or greater, what would you call it in our country? Depression. That's exactly right. Well, in this church, we have about 40% involved in serving in some way. That's a great number, right? I mean, you take six, 40% or six, 700 people, that's, that's a good number. Well, if you look at 60%, that's not involved somehow. Are you getting my drift here? Yeah. Yeah. There is more to do. Making our life count starts with you today, looking in your hands, looking at what God has given you, and going, this is my talent. This is my talents. This is what I have to give, and I'm going to be responsible for it, and I'm going to invest it in the kingdom to the best that I can. My losses, my gains, my weaknesses, my successes, my victories, my failures, all of it, I will turn and give to the kingdom so that it can in return bring a return. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning. Thank you for your word. And thank you for the invitation, God, to join you in what you're doing here on the earth. The first step in making your life count is to acknowledge that Jesus forever established your value by going to the cross and dying for you. He made his life count so that we can make ours count. And I want to ask you this morning, if you have not done that, if you have never prayed this prayer and committed your life and said, Jesus, I want to make my life count, that you would do it this morning. And, and pray with me this. Jesus... I want my life to count, and I want to know you. I want to surrender to you this morning so I can be reconciled to my heavenly Father and learn how to get the most out of my life and what you've given me. I surrender to you. Come into my life. Forgive me. Lead me. Teach me how to follow you in this world, in my life right now. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. You can learn more about us and access a video archive of our messages by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel led to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, 
please click on the Give tab at our website or download the PushPay app on your smartphone and search for Seacoast Vineyard Church. Thank you.